Well, again, good morning. I want to welcome you, especially if you're here for the first time at Apostles Houston. We're so glad that you're here uh, to celebrate this special day with us. Uh, over the last several weeks, uh, we have been looking at this ancient practice uh, of Jesus that we're calling radical ordinary hospitality. Um, and it's, uh, it's really been fun, I think, and uh, I think life-changing for many of us to discover that really when you look at the life of Jesus all the way up to the present moment in the life of the church, that the history of the church, of the people of God, really centers around this idea of the table, that the table is central to our life together. And you see that, again, throughout church history, uh, for the first few hundred years, in fact, it, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus when you gathered, it was around a table. Uh, it wasn't in rows like we do these days, it was actually around a table for a meal. And so you think about how the good news of Jesus was shared. It was shared over a meal. You think about how the gospel, how the church grew. It grew from home to home and table to table. And so we've been looking at this practice because it's amazing if you really think about what that means. It means the table, something incredibly ordinary in our lives, actually has an incredible power. Uh, the table actually can become a place of life-changing community. Because when we set the table and we share a meal, what we do is we create a context, right? We create space in our lives where people feel loved, where people are here, heard, and known, where they can actually, uh, through the Spirit of God, be drawn to Jesus. And so all that can happen at the table. And that's why we're talking about radical, ordinary hospitality. This practice... Uh, of eating and drinking uh, that we see in, in Jesus' life. It, it's central to the kingdom of God. He ate with the lost. We've talked about that. He ate with the family of God, his followers, and he ate with God. Uh, and we're going to talk about that last piece today. But this, this practice of Jesus, we are coming to the conviction this is essential for us as followers of Jesus. It's essential for us, not just on Sundays, when we gather, but throughout our weeks, the rhythms of our lives, that this gathering around the table with others is a place where we can experience authentic community and uh, extend a loving invitation for others to encounter Jesus. As we said, it's the place where strangers in our lives become neighbors and where neighbors can actually become the family of God. And so this morning, I, I want us to focus, as we wrap up, focus on this last piece, eating with God. And if you want to open up a Bible, uh, maybe there's one near you in a seat back, or you can open up on your phone. Uh, the passage that we just heard, 1 Corinthians 11, is what we're going to look at together this morning. So if you want to go ahead and open that up, uh, we'll look at that and what that tells us about this idea of eating with God. But as we, as we do that, as we come to this table together, as we talk about eating with with God, I want us to kind of get our minds around what that actually means. And so I thought it might be helpful um, for just us to just do a little exercise. What I want you to do is I want you to think of a meal in your life that was really special. Uh, a, a moment in your life where you, you had uh, uh, food and drink and it was connected to something really powerful. Maybe it was a moment in your life with friends. Maybe it was with uh, roommates or boyfriend, girlfriend or spouse uh, or family. But but go ahead and kind of let your mind go into that moment because I want you to kind of sit there and think about what did it feel like in that moment? Where, what did it feel like to be at the table with people that you loved and knew and celebrating together? My mind immediately went back to my first date with Langley. 
uh, when I did this. And uh, when Langley and I were dating, it was in Raleigh, and I took her out to a date at the North Carolina Museum of History because there was this really cool Titanic uh, exhibit that was going through town. And what happened was you would walk in, you would get a little ticket, and it was like a boarding pass for the actual Titanic, had a real person's name on it. You would go through the whole thing, and then at the end on the wall, there was a list of all the people who made it and all the people who didn't. And you would find your name, and you figure out, did you survive the Titanic or not? And I, I didn't, and she did. So... <laughs> What's funny, even as I'm saying this, I'm like, I can't believe there was a second date. I just can't believe she went back out. I mean, North Carolina, anyway. So, so after the Titanic debacle, we went out to eat. And this is, this is what I remember. We went out to eat, and we went to this great little restaurant in downtown Raleigh uh, called um, Moe's Diner. Now, some of you are like, Moe's, like the, the Tex-Mex? No, not that. Not welcome to Moe's, not that. It's Moe's Diner. It was this cute little Victorian home. Uh, you walked in, you had these intimate little rooms with tables for two, and we sat down, it was candlelight, and I had the most amazing shrimp and grits I've ever had, and we just had this incredible time together, we just talked, and we were getting to know each other, and I literally think we just began to fall in love in that moment, in that conversation around a meal. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, it's, I think there's literally, uh, it'd be possible to track the history of our relationship uh, by looking at the meals that we've shared in our life. Um, that you could look at that first date. I remember when we got married, we were kind of ushered in between the wedding and the reception. We were ushered into this little office space um, at, the, at the reception area, and there was just a little plate and a couple of glasses of wine, and they shut the door and just let the two of us, before all the craziness of the reception set in, just have a meal together. Uh, I remember a meal at... Um, uh, at the, uh, the Biltmore Hotel outside of Asheville and just looking at the sunset over the Smokies. I remember we lived in Dar es Salaam, sitting and having this incredible meal together um, by the Indian Ocean. I remember uh, just a few weeks ago, we went up to the Hill Country and had this amazing meal uh, just as the sun set, and it was on this beautiful little patio and just the two of us, which we were long overdue for. And I just think of those moments, right, where the two of us were together and we were sharing a meal. And there's something about that, right? There's something about having a meal with someone, even if it's just an everyday meal, right? Just everyday meals, there's a personal, relational aspect to that that resonates with something deep within us. Um, and I think it's because we're made that way. You know, we're made, the Bible says, we're made in the image of a relational, communal God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who exists in relationship for eternity. We're made in the image of that God. And so that's, I think there's something to that, why eating together and sharing in that moment, it actually is a theme that runs through the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and why it's so central to the life of the church. And I just bring that up because how incredible then is that Jesus invites us to a meal with him. This personal, relational act, Jesus invites us into that kind of space with him. And in some supernatural but very real way, through the bread and through the wine, when we share this together, he is with us. He meets with us. He connects with us through these tangible expressions of his presence. As we gather together, he eats a meal with us at this table. And I believe... Uh, Really, we need this meal more than ever. Uh, as a church and as a culture, um, we live in a world that is 
there's just an angst. I don't know if you feel this. I mean, jump on Twitter for like 30 seconds, and you can see the angst, the cumulative kind of disillusionments and despair and desperation in our cultural moment. Um, we are a people who in many ways are adrift. Our souls are kind of adrift, and we're, we're longing for something more. We're longing for something that feels real. We're longing for something that, that actually will last, that will satisfy us. We feel that in our day-to-day lives, I think. Australian pastor Mark Sayer, um, he writes this about our current cultural moment. I think this is so insightful. This is what he says. He says, in our cultural moment, the West is seeking to move beyond Christianity whilst feeding upon its fruit. Thus, it constantly offers us, as followers of Jesus, options and off-ramps in which we seemingly have uh, options to enjoy the fruits of faith without the sacrifice and the commitments of faith. It does not demand that we abandon our faith, rather that we are reshape, uh, reshaped in our faith to suit the contours of the day, and in the process offers us the promise of tangible freedoms and pleasures for doing so. It does not challenge our faith head-on in debate, Rather, it uses soft power, offering a continual background hum of options and incentives which eat away at our commitment to Christ. Now, if you didn't get any of that, listen to this last thing he says, because this is, this is where the money is. He says, we are offered the mirage that we can have community without commitment, that we can have faith without discipleship, that we can have the kingdom without the king. And I think he's so right. I think in our culture, we are seeking to have the benefits of the kingdom, but we don't want the king. And it's led to this moment that we're in, where we're in this moment of this kind of contemporary, hyper-individualistic, overly busy, uh, anxious, commitment-phobic existence that we find ourselves in. And so, to say it another way, we are hungry, right? We are hungry. Hungry not for more stuff or more activity or more pleasure. Certainly not hungry for a more relevant church or more celebrity leadership and pastors. What are we hungry for? We are actually hungry for real life. We're hungry for renewal, for the spirit, for the king. We are hungry for Jesus. And Jesus' invitation is to come and to eat It's an invitation to those who are starving for life and for him. He says, come and share a meal with me. Now, the practice in the early church, we've talked about this before, but I think it's so helpful. The practice in the early church, again, it didn't look like this. It doesn't look like what we do, even when we come to the table. When we come, we take a little piece of bread or a wafer and a little sip of wine or of grape juice. That's not what it looked like. When they would gather, uh, at least on Sundays, usually multiple evenings of the week, they would gather around a table and they would share a meal. They would break bread, they would uh, pour the cup and they would share the cup and pass the cup around and they would enjoy an actual meal together. And as they did that, uh, whoever was kind of presiding over the meal, hosting the meal, at one point they would uh, invite people to go around the table and to lead a song. Okay, so no, no Ryan and praise man up front leading songs. It would be like, all right, Sean, what do you got for us, man? Lead us in a song. You know, it would be like that. Can you imagine? And people would just go around and they would lead songs 
around the table, and then at some point they would say, and, and let's, now let's turn our focus and let's, let's talk about the teachings of Jesus. Let's look at the gospel. Let's look at the Old Testament scriptures and what they do, and they point us to Jesus, and they would talk about that around the meal, and then they would pray together. That's the picture you get of the early church, and what's important about that is the meal Gather around, it was central to their life. Not incidental, not something they did after. It was central to their life together. So important, in fact, that the Apostle Paul, he gets after the church in Corinth. That's what we heard a few minutes ago, what Mike read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What you're looking at in front of you is Paul telling them, look, you've received this amazing gift, this meal from Jesus, where you get to eat with him together at the table. And instead, you're abusing it. You're abusing this practice he writes in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17, he says, I have no praise for you. I don't commend you, right? For your, your meetings are actually doing more harm than good. Why? Because he goes on to say, you're not doing it the right way. And he, he points to specific things. He says, there's unresolved conflict among you. He says, there's cliques. There's people who aren't getting enough food. Some people are getting more than they need. Some of you are getting drunk at this meal. And he says, this is not what Jesus had in mind. This is not the meal that he puts before you. He said, when you gather, I want you to take bread and I want you to break it. And when you break it, I want you to remember. Do this in remembrance of me, that I died for you. And you take that and you break off pieces and you pass that around and you remember. You enter into that reality. You eat with me this bread. And then, likewise, you take the cup. Take this cup, this wine, and drink from it. And remember I gave my life, I sacrificed, shed my own blood out of my love for you. And to do that, and when you do that, remember me. And he says when you do that, what you're doing is you're proclaiming, Paul says you're proclaiming the death of the Lord Jesus until he returns. In other words, you are proclaiming what has happened in the person of Jesus and through the person of Jesus, that through his death we are rescued and redeemed and given new life. This meal points to everything, Jesus' death, but also his resurrection, his ascension, and his eventual return. It points to the life that we have in him. And so he says, remember me when you do this. This is a meal with Jesus. Paul basically is telling us, look, when you do this as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and you gather around and you eat a meal with Jesus, this is a glimpse of the kingdom this is a glimpse of what life is meant to be around Jesus together and what ultimately it will be for eternity. It's a glimpse of the kingdom, of life with the king. I love what John Stott says about the table. and I'm just gonna paraphrase uh, what he says in, in these four words. He says it's about grace, relationship, togetherness, and gratitude. Grace. Jesus says here, do this in remembrance of me. It's about remembering Jesus, what he's done, who he is. What, he, what he's done for us is he's given his life for us and he forgives us and he rescues us in our brokenness and our rebellion and we eat with Jesus and it's this tangible, engaging moment where we actually participate in God's eternal story, what he has done for us, what is actually real, realer than real, the kingdom of God and it's all about grace and then it goes on to relationship. This meal is about relationship. Jesus says this cup is the new covenant. Covenant is a relational term. In a covenant, uh, the life of two parties is bound together. Think like a marriage. Like bound together. The two become one. That's what we are united 
with Christ. And this meal symbolizes that. So we come and we eat at the table. And it's not just about thinking and believing this. It's actually about encountering the living Jesus at this table. There's something really deep and profound that we actually in some way come face to face with Jesus. Even though he's not physically present, there's this heart-piercing reality to what happens when we come to the table that we actually remember that, God, you died for me. Jesus, you love me and you died for me. You gave everything for me and you are here as we come around this table together as the body of Christ. That he loves me is the reality, the relational reality that we encounter at this table. And so we encounter God and then we do it together. We are so prone to thinking just about ourselves and even just about ourselves and God, but this is about us as a family. This is something we do together. 1 Corinthians Uh, Paul says, come together several times here in chapter 11. And it's emphasizing that that reality, our our Adelphoi is what it's called in the Greek, the brothers and sisters that we gather as the family of God in Christ. And there's a unity among us and a peace shared between us because of what Christ has done for us. Now, what Paul highlights here in 1 Corinthians 11 is that Even in the early church, sometimes we can idealize what it was like. Even in the early church, there was major conflict. There were major relational breaks and problems going on in the life of the church. People gossiped, they judged, they hurt each other, they excluded one another. And let's be honest, so do we. Even in this room, those things are going on in the life because we're human and we're fallen and we're broken. The church is not a group of perfect people who have it all figured out and have it all together. We are people that are in need of a God who can reconcile us to himself and to one another. And so how great is Jesus that he gives us a way to do that every week, right? Every week we come to this time as people who are in need of reconciliation with each other. And this table is a weapon against bitterness and resentment building up in our relationships with each other. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but this table, it's... It's about coming to a place where I have to get real with Jesus about how I'm treating other people in my life. And in that moment, in that moment, I think something really powerful happens if we'll let it with Jesus. Because if you think about, think about this, think about a meal and trying to eat a meal face-to-face with someone you're in conflict with, Right? a spouse or a friend, someone you've had a falling out with, to actually sit down face-to-face and eat a meal. How awkward, right? How uncomfortable. How much do we want to avoid that reality? And so the same thing is true when we come to this table. We come to this table, and before we do that, we have to come to a place where we confess our sin, our need, our brokenness, that we've sinned against God and we've sinned against each other, and then we follow that up in our service. So we have a, a time of corporate confession, and then we have a time of peace, don't we? We share the peace. And it's not just a chance to go around and say hello, although we use it that way, and that's great, but we actually say the words peace, and we mean it. The peace of Christ. There is peace between us. And let me just encourage us as, as a family that sometimes we do things and we don't know why we do them, and we kind of lose the meaning. You know that space is actually created so that we would be reconciled before we come to this table. And so some of us, some of us, I think just week to week, we need to think about it that way because there's things between us and God has given us an opportunity to reconcile to one another, to go to one another and and, and in peace ask for forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us.
Paul says, if you're coming to this table over and over in unreconciled conflict and unconfessed sin, you're not doing it right. You've missed out on what Jesus is trying to give you in this moment. So at this table, Jesus wants us to know that we're forgiven, that we're cleansed, and that we can be here and eat with him together, and we can kind of reset and stop carrying around these toxic resentments and unforgiveness that we have in our lives. And so maybe part of the question to ask as you come to the table today is, is there someone in this room that I need to reconcile with? Is there someone within my own family, maybe turning to a spouse, just to say, I, I'm sorry. Can we talk about this more maybe later, but I just want you to know that I'm sorry. You know, to take that step. And that, that's hard. I know that's hard, but that's what this space is for. And that's what we're to do as the family of God to live in peace with each other. And so it brings us to gratitude, which I think you can see in light of the grace and the relationship and the togetherness that we have at this table, we come in joy and thanksgiving because of what God has done for us, because of his grace, because of the relationship that we have with Jesus, because of the life that we have together living in peace, reconciled by the blood of the cross. We come and we can be grateful. And then we leave this place satisfied and full and strengthened to bear witness to the king in a hungry world. That's what happens when we eat with Jesus. This is the table of grace and relationship and togetherness and gratitude. So this morning, I would just say wherever you are, on your spiritual journey, Jesus' invitation today is to eat with him. It is to come to this table and to eat and to enter into life with him. And I would say whether your life is good right now or it's hard, uh, whether you feel God's presence this morning or you do not, when we come together at this table, we encounter Jesus. That's his promise to us. He is always with us, but something happens that's unique and powerful in the Holy Spirit when we gather around this table, and we need that. We need Jesus. Some of us today are starving. We are starving. We feel that disillusionment. We feel that desperation, that loneliness. We're longing for something that's more real. We're longing for something that's more satisfying. Some of us are weighted down by the burden of our unforgiveness and our bitterness, and we need to release that to the Lord Jesus today. And so I just want to encourage you, whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, this morning, the invitation is here from Jesus to come to this table. When we come around this table in just a few minutes, maybe it's the first time you've ever taken that step, but the invitation is there. You can come and receive. Put your trust in Jesus and eat with him and experience the life that he has on offer. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise. We thank you that you are the God who invites us to come to the table. And Lord, that is the table of grace and covenant relationship, the table where we can come together and to celebrate and give thanks. And so Lord, I pray for each of us, no matter where we are, that this would be a moment where we encounter you. Jesus, we need you and nothing less. And so would you meet us where we are? Would you speak into our lives? Holy Spirit, would you speak into our lives right where we are? 
We know exactly what we need to hear. A word of grace, a word of invitation, a word of reconciliation. Holy Spirit, would you minister in our midst as we come to this table and eat this meal with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We pray that in his name. Amen. Amen.